It's great to be with you today. And uh, um, you might like to keep those two passages open from Acts 1 and from Hebrews 7 that we're going to have a look at today on this topic of um, the ascension and Jesus being seated at the right hand of the Father, sometimes just shortened to the session, much easier to say. Well, um, I want to start by getting us to think about um, what's up there in the sky. Um, as humans, we've always had a real passion to sort of learn what's kind of up there and going into space and, and things like that. And about 59 years ago, last month to be precise, and a Russian astronaut by the name of Yuri Gagarin was the first human person to orbit the Earth. And while he was orbiting the Earth, he maintained radio contact with Earth. And it's recorded that he said this statement, I don't see any um, God I don't see any God up there. Yes, so so uh, he said while he was orbiting the Earth, um, I don't see any God up there. Now, on the one hand, that really kind of is a, a mocking statement, isn't it? It's sort of a, a statement that sounds like he's trying to discount the existence of God. But on the other hand, um, for me as a Christian at least, it uh, doesn't do... Um, anything to undermine my faith in Jesus at all. And, you know, as Christians we know that, that God is invisible, that heaven is a reality, but not the sort of spatial one that we can actually get into a, a space rocket or something like that or whatever. And yet we are also people that believe that Jesus ascended and is seated at the right hand of the Father and we're also people who are formed, shaped by the reality that we read about in Acts chapter 1, that Jesus was lifted up and taken from their sight. So even though, though we know that the ascension doesn't mean that um, Jesus is up there somewhere uh, physical um, to be seen, we still need to wrestle with the ascension and the, the session of Jesus Christ. And the problem is that uh, we, we kind of tend to know what the death of Jesus kind of means for us and um, the resurrection of Jesus, um, but we don't kind of know what to do with the ascension. Let me remind you of this diagram that Pete put up a few weeks ago. Do you remember this one? Um, we, he talked about the fact that as Christians we kind of have a simple movement of Jesus who came to earth as a human, he, he died and then he rose again. But in the creed, we've been trying to stretch our brains a bit more about this movement. That um, there's not only that, but that the creed tells us that he actually he went to the place of the dead. And today we're thinking about um, something extra, uh, an extra step that he rose. He didn't didn't just rise, but he ascended. And um, we're thinking about why that might be important for us today. So there are two passages that we're looking at today um, from Acts chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 7. And let's start with um, the author Luke. For the author Luke, it's the ascension is really clearly important. He recounts uh, the ascension at the end of his gospel, at the end of the life and the work of Jesus Christ. And then he talks about the ascension twice at the beginning of his second book, his uh, take his part two, if you like, the um, 
the book of Acts. So he ends the story of the life and the work of Jesus Christ on earth. And in Acts, his part two, he starts the continuing life and work of Jesus Christ. So the ascension uh, marks the end of Jesus' life and ministry on earth. And it's a, a clear event, wasn't it, that showed the disciples that the risen Jesus was clearly now um, gone. There would be no more resurrection appearances. And the angels explained to the disciples that the next time that they would see Jesus would be at his um, triumphant return. But we saw, we saw that, the, that in Acts that it also marks the start of, um, of Jesus' heavenly ministry um, in the world, in and through his people. The Bible here in Acts uh, recounts this very strange marvel, a strange scene. Um, this, this, they see him rising as, as a human being up from the earth. And you can take a look at the, what you've got here. This is kind of um, a depiction that we kind of have in our brains, isn't it, of what the disciples saw. Now, they know and we know that heaven is not above us and hell is not below us. But this picture that is given for us and for the disciples, it has amazing symbolism in the event, doesn't it? For, for the disciples and, and for us of Jesus being lifted up and going to his father as he said, as he said that he would. Do you remember that what the risen Jesus says to Mary? Uh, don't cling to me. I need to return to the father uh, to receive his glory. And in the Gospels we also see a glimpse of this heavenly glory that Jesus will receive uh, do you remember at the Transfiguration that uh, th that Jesus goes with some di disciples up on a mountain, and they get a glimpse of His heavenly glory, where uh, God the Father comes down to them in a cloud, and there's a voice from the cloud that says uh, to uh, to to them, "Listen to Jesus. This is my Son." And then Jesus uh, in the Gospels. He applies uh, Psalm 110 to himself. Uh, psalm 110, which is a messianic psalm, that uh, the, the Davidic Messiah would be seated at the right hand of the Father in glory. And now we see in Acts 1 that Jesus is doing that. He is ascending to the Father and is now hidden from their sight by a cloud of glory. So we understand that in the ascension of Jesus, that Jesus is exalted to a place of executive power and authority so that any power that God the Father has, now God the Son, there isn't an ascended Son, has as well. And that is actually how the apostles in Acts now speak of the risen um, and ascended Christ, that he is now the rightful ruler of the universe. The, all the humiliation that he suffered by becoming a human and dying on the cross is now uh, vindicated. And the Father has granted Jesus a position of unparalleled authority and honour, enthroned uh, beside him. And, and that was also why the, uh, the apostles and the disciples immediately begin worshipping Jesus 
at the ascension as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So you and I, um, as Christians, we not only believe that Jesus lives, we believe that Jesus reigns as our exalted Lord. What difference does this make in our lives? Well, it certainly expands our view of Jesus, doesn't it? Uh, Beyond that Jesus died for us, that he was raised and conquered death, but he was also ascended as our exalted Lord. And uh, so to, to be a follower of Jesus uh, means to walk in the reign and the rule of Jesus Christ. It entails that we order our lives, our finances, our relationships, our ambitions, our hopes around this most important confession that a Christian can make, Jesus Christ is Lord. But the the challenge that we have, uh, not only of living with Jesus as our Lord, is that we do so in a world where we can't see that he is Lord. We don't see him, people don't see him. This is an invisible uh, king, an invisible uh, kingship. We know that he is Lord, uh, but we don't always see how that works out in our lives and other people can mock Jesus as Lord um, like we had with Yuri Gagarin at the start. Jesus is a king. Uh, He's ruling on a throne. That's all just a bit laughable. One of my students at Ridley College, I I work at a Christian college, and one of my students, uh, Maddie, uh, went to the comedy festival Not this year, obviously, because of COVID, it was cancelled, but in a previous year. And I remember her telling me that uh, the comedian that she went to see um, with, with a friend, he said this in one of his jokes. Well, if you counted up everything that Jesus said, if you put it all together and if you recorded it, it would come to a total amount of 17 minutes. So um, my two-hour show, this comedian said, my two-hour show is better value than the Son of God. So there was, or the audience was hooting and they were clapping and they were cheering. But for Maddie, uh, my Christian friend, um, she turned to her other friend and said, that's my heavenly Lord and, and exalted Saviour that they're laughing at. So... We live out our lives in this world knowing and believing that Jesus is the risen and ascended king, that he reigns and he is still powerfully at work in our lives and our worlds. And one day he will triumphantly return and that kingship will be evident to all and our trust and our faith will be vindicated. The second um, powerful implication of the ascension and the um, session of Jesus is seen in our second passage where it talks about Jesus as our heavenly high priest from Hebrews chapter 7 uh, verses 23 to 8 verse 1 and in verse 26 it talks about Jesus this idea of him being our mediator exalted above the heaven who gives us access to God now, if you take a look at these, um, this passage here, it's, you see that it's talking about sacrifices and um, temple and tabernacle and priests. 
but it's talking about the old covenant and it's comparing the earthly priests to Jesus' priesthood. So when the author here is talking about priests, he's talking about something very different to what we might think about today when we think about ministers or pastors or even priests. Because a priest in the Old Testament was a mediator between the people and God. Everyone would draw close to God through the priests who would carry out sacrifices for their sin and his own on behalf of the people in the temple. But there were two problems to this earthly uh, temple and to the earthly priests. The first one he talks about in verse 23 Israel would have had thousands of priests over the centuries, but the author states the problem. They grow old and they die and they keep having to be replaced. So no matter how dedicated they were, death prevented them from continuing in office. But because the ascended Jesus is the living high priest, something remarkable has been indicated because he is a priest Forever, he has a permanent priesthood in the heavenly sanctuary. So Jesus is our forever and final high priest. Jesus is our one and only mediator and advocate before God. Jesus will always be in the the heavenly sanctuary and he'll never take a day off. Um, He'll never retire. He'll never move on. He will always be reliable. But the second problem was this. You see in verse 27, the work of the priest was never finished. If you were in the Old Testament temple, uh, you, you would never be sitting down because there were no seats in the temple. Uh, why not? Because the priest's work was never done. They could never take a rest. They could never take a load off. In fact, they developed all sorts of rosters to ensure that the sacrifices, constant sacrifices for the constant sins of the people could be um, offered in the temple. It was sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. There was no stopping that earthly sacrifice because the sacrifices could not take away those sins once and for all. But you see that the writer of the Hebrews says here in 8 verse 1 that when Jesus gets up to his heavenly sanctuary, he sits down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high. He sits down because his work is done. He sits down because he is resting from his labour. For his atoning work for us is done. It's fully completed He doesn't need to offer any more sacrifice. It is finished. And that is a powerful truth that the ascension and the the session, the being seated at the right hand of, of God, means for us today. It means that by that one act, his death on the cross, our sin has been dealt with. Every sin that we have done, every sin that we will do, has been covered by that one act of Jesus on our behalf. And verse 27 says that he sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. And in verse 26, that his offering of himself fully met our need because Jesus was holy and blameless and pure. 
So he sits down in the heavenly sanctuary because his work is finished. Now sometimes I, I hear um, when I invite people to church, uh, sometimes I hear this response, oh, no, I wouldn't go there. They'll just make me uh, feel guilty. Uh, they'll just tell me that I have to do more. But the sad thing is that is so uh, different from the truth. It's not the creed or truth of Christianity, is it? Jesus, our ascended Lord, is not up there uh, fretting over our, our, our forgive whether our forgiveness has been won or thinking, oh, well, no, you, you have to do more. He's not standing up looking at us and saying, well, you got this far, um, you can make up the rest on your own. No, in the heavenly sanctuary, Jesus is sitting. His atonement work is done. His sacrifice cannot be repeated and it does not need to be repeated. And so that is a, a powerful truth for us now. Now we don't need to earn God's forgiveness by our works or our service in the church or, or praying more. Jesus is our risen and ascended high priest who is seated at the right hand of the Father. And so we are fully assured that our forgiveness has been won. His work is finished. And Christians, because of that, can have this strangely bold and even brazen approach to God's throne, knowing that the, the door of God's house is always open to us in the heavenly sanctuary. There's one more thing and last thing in this passage and from Hebrews that even though Jesus is at rest from his atoning work, is he just kind of uh, sitting around there doing nothing? Well, no. It says that Jesus continues his work in the heavenly sanctuary in this way, not to make atonement for sins, but to make intercessions to the Father on our behalf. Do you recall in John chapter 17, uh, Jesus made that promise that he would continue to intercede for his followers after his return to the Father. And I think it's also the same reason why the Apostle Paul said this from Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Who is then the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. And in our reading uh, today from Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, the author celebrated that Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him because Jesus always intercedes for them. Um, we shouldn't be tricked into seeing this, this heavenly intercession of Jesus before the Father as somehow Jesus sort of constantly requesting a reluctant Father to be merciful to us. Mike Bird puts it this way, it's more like Jesus presenting his brothers and sisters to the Father, representing them, pleading their prayers for them and turning his Father's gaze upon them. And when the Father looks down at his children, he sees them as one, as one with his beloved Son who is seated beside them. So 
What does the ascension and session of Jesus mean for us? It's really important. We've only looked at two things today. That Jesus is now at the helm of the universe. He's in control of the world. He's in control of our lives. And so even though we don't always see that, we believe it and we put our trust and our faith in Jesus, our our exalted and ascended Lord Jesus. And Jesus is also our heavenly high priest who sat down at the right hand of the Father, proving to us that his atoning work was complete. So we must never fear in approaching the Lord God in his heavenly throne room for forgiveness. And Jesus in his heavenly throne room is always our sympathetic mediator interceding for us and acting for our good before God day in and day out. So let us pray and bring our our needs before our Heavenly Father. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you that you um, raised Jesus to life, not only raised him to life, but that he is ascended and he is the ascended king with all power and authority. And we pray, Lord God, that we would live with him as our Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for his work as our heavenly priest, that his atoning work, that we can be assured of your love and your grace. And Lord God, that that Jesus is constantly um, on our side as our brother praying for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.